story in John chapter 13. He's going to teach us four different scenarios where we have to pick humility. We have to humble ourselves in order to continue to see God take root in our life. So pull out those Bibles on your chair or on your phones or wherever you read and uh, go to uh, John chapter 13 in those black Bibles. It's uh, page number 895. We're going to be hanging out together there in our series called Hide and Seek. And uh, as you're going there, um, as you're going there, just a couple things. One, uh, big weekend of celebration for so many, right? We got, for the Irish folks, we got some St. Paddy's Day. Come on, right? For our Italians, brother, our Italian brother and sisters, we have St. Joe's coming, getting those zapes eaten up. Come on. For our Chinese brothers and sisters, you guys just had New Year's. Happy New Year to you. And so fun to just, uh, I love this part of the country because it's like most like heaven, other than besides the fact that we have the best football team in the world. Um, we have so many different backgrounds, so, different, so many different cultures that we get to worship together with, and it's so fun to be able to do that. Uh, at Community Covenant uh, together to do that. Um, also, we, we talk about this a lot at our church that every person is um, the uh, every person is uh, built into their hard like into their DNA with the inherent worth and dignity of God. Um, every person's created in His image, and so we like to uh, we so we celebrate people, we celebrate different things. But when we also see things in the news that we know is not that, we, we also can pray and grieve. And so we when we when we hear news like uh, like like Christchurch, New Zealand, we can say that is not uh, something that God had in mind. And so despite what some people think in leadership, they. Uh, in, in the world, uh, thoughts and prayers do matter. <laughs> they, they thought they do matter. And, uh, and, and what we like to do as a church, and it's kind of, sometimes I wake up in the morning and I think, okay, we're going to church again. Why do we go to church again? I forgot. I'm the pastor. I need to know this. Um, and, uh, and, and really we come, to, we come together so that we can worship God and announce the fact that he's in control and he's in charge. And, uh, and that actually he changes hearts, not laws. And so what we do is, is what we, can, we, can, we can pray and plead that God would intercede, but then he can also inspire us to create meaningful change where it needs to happen. And, and so today, I'd like to just do that together before we get going, and, uh, and we'll continue on uh, in this sermon series today. Jesus, we, uh, we, we acknowledge and affirm the, the image of God in all people. And God, I pray today that you uh, be with uh, this with this town in New Zealand. God, uh, often lack of uh, lack of violence happening from that part of the country, that part of the world. And and God, I pray um, that you uh, take up residence inside of Christ Church, God. And I pray that you would turn their hearts back to their Creator and and allow peace to settle here, God. I pray that you give us one small step to live in solidarity with them, God, whether it's showing love uh, to somebody else or just affirming the image of God and other people around us. God, I pray that you allow that type of movement to take place in uh, in this part of the world as we uh, as we engage with that. Father, we love you and we trust you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are in a series called Hide and Seek, and, and the whole concept of this series is um, that, that many of us, like I just haven't talked to too many people um, who wish that their life was a little bit worse off today than it was last week. Can I get an amen? Right? Like, you know what? Kind of had some greater plans for myself. Um, want them to go up and to the right. And, and many times what that does is it creates gaps between who we are and who we want to be. And as humans, we put things in those gaps to try to close that gap. And uh, we, so we have all these different forces, all these different things that we try to put in, those, in that gap. 
And many times, without knowing it, we actually keep ourselves stuck in patterns that bring some uh, shame to us or bring kind of brokenness around us. And, and, and really, God would invite us to, to, to not put those forces in those gaps, but to put him in those gaps. And it would invite us to, to begin to, a relationship with him and begin following him so that we can truly live the life uh, that he created us to live. And so the, the next few weeks, we're looking at different things that we commonly, as, as Western Americans, put in those gaps to, just to confess those to God and say, God, I often trust in these more than I trust in you. And, and we need together as a church and as, just as a person trust in you um, way more than I can trust in my own strength and, and way more than I can trust in my own abilities in the world. And so that's what we're doing in this series. And, and today we're going to be looking at a really, like a really, really peculiar tension that we all struggle with uh, between pride and humility. Now, um, how many know that in order for news to be good, there must be news that is bad? Thank you. I'll be here all day. Just, just, shed, just shedding wisdom this morning. Um, and, and in order for news to be good, so like the news of the gospel is good news. That's what the word gospel in Greek means, euangelion. It's, it's, this, it's this good news. But in order for news of, the news of Jesus to be good, we have to know that there's bad news. And, and the bad news that the scriptures teach us is, is this word called sin. Sin is just separation from God. It's this, it's this disconnection from him. Um, and, and really the root of all of that sin is pride. And what Jesus invites us into is, is, a, is a life of humility that really acknowledges him as Lord, him as creator, and, and re- recognizes ourselves as his creation. And so we find ourselves there. And so what the scriptures do is they often t- uh, teach us or give us or share with us scenarios of, de- of describing this bad news. It gives us little, like, little pockets here, like here's the bad news and here's the things that really Jesus is pulling us away from. And, and one of those verses is where Paul is, talking to, uh, uh, Paul is talking to one of his mentees, Timothy. Paul's you know, acknowledging all of the, wrote much of the Bible and he talks to, uh, to his mentee, Timothy. He says this, in the last days, there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents. All my parents in the room said amen, thank you. And ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. But here's the bad news. We're all people like that, aren't we? When you're reading that list, you're like, oh, I know a person like that. I know a person like that. I know a person like that. How, how easy it is. And then we go, oh, yeah, I've done all of those things on the way to church this morning. See, and you're like, okay, that's some awfully bad news. And then I love this. In the last days, there will be very difficult times. You're like, in the last days or in this day right now? Because I do it all. And we realize we're kind of stuck in this thing that like, like what pulls us all together is the same type of brokenness that we need rescue from. And so we see this verses like this. And so, so what, what Paul is really doing here is he's really describing the ways that pride flesh themselves out, the way that pride surfaces in our life. It's all these different ways, but it's basically acknowledging the fact that you're the Lord over your own life, that you're in charge, that you're in control, that you're a boss, and everything around us, uh, everything around you will begin to take shape according to how you see fit. 
pride surfaces in all these different ways, but, so, but, but really what, what Jesus is going to teach us is that humility is the antidote to pride. And so very simply, just a quick definition today, pride is thinking of myself too much and humility is thinking of myself less. Just very simple. There's all sorts of different definitions, all sorts of different ways, but for us, and for, for us in our study today, very simply, pride is thinking of myself too much and humility is thinking of myself less. Now, here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about the type of pride when you look at your kid and he's like, you know, climbing the stairs for the first time and you're like, come on, buddy, go. That's not the type of pride I'm talking about. Oftentimes, I think we can get stuck heaping shame on over our life because you're like, well, I can't be proud of my kids or I can't be proud of this family member. I can't be proud of this. That's not what I'm talking about. You know the difference though. You see the world, you see the interaction when you can tell that there's a root of pride in somebody that's leading to surfaces of sin versus someone who's just proud of their children, right? So pride is thinking of yourself too much. Humility, the antidote to pride and the antidote to the root of all sin is thinking of myself less. And the Bible's gonna teach us how to do that. So real quickly, what is pride? Pride is ways that sin surfaces in areas of self-importance. We, we think of ourselves so important that we can actually be dismissive of others, right? This can take root in our marriages. This can take root in our work relationships where we just, things that just should not pass us right by actually should hit us, but we just let it go. We dismiss other people, dismiss other vo- points of view, and because we're so important and so inflated in our own ways. Um, there was a study done in the 1950s that asked people, how important do you think they are? And, and, and literally only 12% of people said they thought they were important. They did that in the 90s, and like over 80% did it, said that they were important. You did that today, if you stud, take the same study today, I'm sure it would increase. And that's actually just scientific proof of why we all love our grandparents, right? Like they just were much nicer people. But there was self-importance. We, we actually become dismissive of other people for the sake of our own gain. It's also self-promotion, which is just a presentation of yourself in the way that everybody should be seen. So it's that type of thing where you're like, you know, you're in a straight-up argument on the way to the church. Like, shh, don't argue in church. Hey, babe, how are you doing? How is it going? It's this presentation that we often want people to have of us, like a, a way that we want people to think. It's often what we use our social platforms for. It's this ability to present to the world maybe something that might not be true or maybe might be something that pushes our own name forward. Self-promotion. It's also self-interest where we literally bend reality to meet our own demands. Man, many times we do this as well-meaning parents. We think, okay, I'm going to bend reality to meet my own vision for your life. How often do we need to humble ourselves before God and just say, here. Self-interest is really just this ability to say, you know what? Uh, the house is going to look the way, like the way that I want it. The, the, the restaurant is going to be my choice and my style. The cars are going to look my way. It's all these different ways that self-interest, we begin to just bend it towards our own reality. Pride surfaces all of those, and many times we do this one subconsciously, thinking that it's good ideas, but we don't even know the, the, like the havoc that we're wreaking on the relationships around us simply by making them submit to our own wills. Pride surfaces in all sorts of different ways. 
but the Bible says that humility is the way out of pride. And so this is what John 3 says. Here's how we do this. Therefore, my joy is made complete. He must become greater. This is, this is John talking about Jesus. He must become greater and greater. I must become less and less. What I love about this verse is that it almost seems like a process. He becomes greater. And then in the next season, he's even greater. And even the next season, he's greater than that. And then as he gets greater, I become less. And in the next season, I'm a little bit less. And then in another season, I'm a little bit less. He becomes great. I become less. And as that process happens, humility begins to take root. Look what it says in 1 Peter 5. It says, humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. We trust timing to God and we humble ourselves. We get low so he can get high. It also says this in James chapter four. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Basically this, like do you want to experience grace in a fresh way this morning? Humble yourself. Get low. Get low. And allow God to get higher and greater in your life. And so we, we, we ultimately bump into this idea of humility, right? Okay, what, is, what does it mean to humble ourselves? What does is, what is humbling ourselves really mean or what does it look like in our own context? And so let me first start off with what humbling yourself is not. Humbling yourself is not self-deprecating. Meaning these little thoughts in your head, they're like, oh, just, you know, just shut up, don't say that. It's, you know, you're really not that awesome. And it's not belittling yourself in front of other people. You know, it's not, it's, it's a, it, you have a healthy self-understanding and a healthy self-awareness. You're not self-deprecating. In fact, self-deprecation is really just a negative view of pride. It's a negative expression of your own pride. It's a way to keep the conversation on you through negative comments about yourself. Humbling yourself is not enabling. We have boundaries as humans and we need to enforce those boundaries and we need to not let people, other people, we need to not help other people sin. So we need to make sure we're not enabling in the sake of, for the, in the name of humility, enabling others in our lives to sin and take advantage over us. Humility is not manipulation where we act humbly in order to control the outcome. That's just worse pride in my opinion where we can take this idea, we're like, all right, we can still control the outcome if I act religiously, if I act in a lowly way. That's just manipulation. So if that's what humility is not, humbling yourself actually is, number one, a, self, a healthy internal awareness. We presuppose internal and personal dignity and worth. We presuppose, we enter into the conversation that God has created in me in his image. God is for me. He loves me. Not only does he love me, he likes me. He thinks it's so cool that I'm here. And that when he sees me, he doesn't see my brokenness. He sees Jesus. And so from there, I'm able, I'm invited into a life of rest. I'm invited into a life of peace and joy because my identity is found not upon myself, my own pride and my own rulership and lordship, but it's actually based off Jesus. And I'm getting, connecting to how I was truly created to live, not the one that I'm imagining in my own head. Humbling ourselves is, is internal awareness. It's also external visibility. It also has external visibility where we don't just do, think helpful thoughts, we do helpful things. How, how amazing would it be if someone says, oh yeah, man, I ran five miles this week. Oh yeah, when did you do that? 
while I was sitting on my couch. I, I thought really hard about it the whole time. Whew, and I was tired. Tired. Let me tell you. Tired. No. Humbling, are, the, the Bible very rarely says to be humble. 90% of the time it says to humble yourself. It's active. It's an active lowering of ourselves, not, in, not a lower self-esteem, but a lowering of our status so that God can be raised up. The next thing is it, it's, it, we, it, we forego um, any sort of consideration of external status. We're free because we're not worried about making sure I, I'm seen by this person and making sure I can, you know, I, I can engage in that environment and making sure all these things take place. When, when pride begins to, to get lower and lower and less and less and God becomes, become, becomes greater and greater, our, our ability to just be at rest in our life takes root. Humbling yourself is is also socially willing. Uh, when you are forced into humility, it's not humility, it's humiliation. And when you see people that are forced into humility, um, it's often in, in, in things like bank robberies, right? Where you're forced onto your knees, you're forced into a lower position, typically with some sort of weapon to your back. That is not humility, that's control. And what we have to do is be socially willing to redirect the power that we've been given, not for myself, but for the sake of others. Where we can express our humility because of our internal and, and healthy self-awareness and the healthy boundaries in our life. We're able to externally uh, present that, foregoing any status, and socially wi- and willingly able to redirect any power that we have to serve the sake of other people. Humility is something that begins to take root over time when we acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, when he, we acknowledge that he is creator, that we are not the point, we are not the leader, we are not the one over everything, but we fall underneath the one that leads everything. And so we have to consistently humble ourselves so that we become less and he becomes greater. In Jesus' story in John chapter 13, he's going to teach us four different scenarios where we have to pick humility. We have to humble ourselves in order to continue to see God take root in our life. Are we tracking together so much today? So here's what it says. John 13 verse one says this. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them, with the towel he had around them. Number one, we have to pick humility when it's hardest to love. We have to pick humility when it's hardest to love. Look at verse one. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world. Do you know what that means? This hour means that he knew that he was going to be killed 
and that for the sake of the sin in the world, he was going to die so that, so that people could be saved, have a relationship with God again, would resurrect to defeat death. But he knew that he was going to die. He knew not only that the fact that he just was going to die, but that he was going to be killed on this behalf. Can you imagine the emotional stress in this moment for someone like Jesus? I mean, for me, man, I'd be a mess, right? We'd be unable to function, perhaps, because we're under so much stress of the idea that this was about to happen. See, Jesus, at this moment, like he knew the, the season was going to end. He could have literally saved his, his biggest and most powerful sermon for that moment, couldn't he? He could have said, you want to see a miracle? I'll show you a miracle. He literally had all the power at that moment. He could have done whatever he wanted. And what does he do? He takes off the Jesus clothes and puts on the servant clothes and washes feet. Now, there's no other moment here, there's no other information here that's telling us that he did not wash Judas's feet. He knew there was going to be someone that was going to lead him to people that were going to kill him, and he washes his feet. And the reason I know we wouldn't do that is because when we see high school friends, we go to the other aisle in the grocery store. And that's only funny because you did it. This week, probably. This morning. And he washes. Can you think about that moment when it's hardest to love? When, you're, when your life is falling apart? When, when we, like, for some of us, we haven't texted our parents and, or called our parents in years. We haven't talked to the person that hurt us in a long time. And Jesus is saying, man, when it's hardest to love, humble yourself. Humble yourself. Forgive. Get low. See, many times when the pressure is on, we're tempted to do a number of different things. When we're facing the pressures of life, many times we try, to, we try to engage it in many different ways. So for some of us, we try to fight it. We're active engagers. We just like fight it. We'll laser that sucker down, choke it out, get it out of our way. For others, we flee. Get out of here. I need to get out of here. I don't want to. Others, we, we kind of like freeze, right? We're like, like ostrich effect, stick our head in the ground. Hopefully everything goes away. For some of, your, some of, a, some of you, you're fixers and you gotta figure out how to, how to get it all to work out. But what does Jesus do when the pressure's on? He gets low. And he falls to his knees and serves. He falls to his knees under the pressure, acknowledging God as the creator acknowledging the dignity and worth of all humans when it's hardest to love. Humble yourself. Number two, when it's hardest, uh, it, you need to humble yourself. When you see the big picture, um, look, at, he, he literally says that Jesus knew that the Father had given him all authority. Like he could have done whatever he wanted. The authority, he had the power in the room. He had all the power in the room. 
he also, he also knew that he was going to be returning to God. He knew that like his time was coming to an end. And he saw the big picture. How many for you? When you, someone says something to you that you know is wrong, do you like, well, you're an idiot. Well, that's good. Nice and self-aware of you to share that. Can you think about the patience that Jesus had in this moment? He knows what's going on. He sees the end. He, he, he gets it. And the people around him don't get it. And he, and he humbles himself and washes his feet. Like, when you see the big picture, like, you're the one that has the information that, that could, like, help everything else. Like, you, you see all of the things that it affects. You see all the, like, you could be the one with all the power in the room. What do you do with it? Do you bend reality towards yourself? Or do you take off that cloak and put on the clothes of a servant? When you see the big picture. Humble yourself. Man, we're good Americans and we, everyone has an opinion today. And we all kind of have this big, you know, everything's got to line up. My, my church has to look like this and, and my politics have to look like this and, and my, my kids, they got to look this way and we, got, we could do all this sort of thing and honestly, Jesus is inviting you to lay down your pride and to pick up humility. You must become less and less so that he can become greater. And you'll see the true fruit of your life actually make its way to the surface. When you see the big picture, humble yourself. He says in another scenario, when you face defensiveness, humble yourself. Look what, look what, look what the story says here. It says in verse 6, when Jesus came to Simon Peter, we all love Simon Peter, don't we? We're like, we know something good's going to happen when we hear Simon Peter's name. And he says to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I just can imagine Peter being like seventh in line. And he's like, Jesus is like, yeah, bro. Like, just did it six times. Yeah. And he says, uh, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but you will. Someday you will. No, Peter protests. You will never, ever wash my feet. How do you think this works out for Peter? Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. And Simon Peter explained, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord. So just wash all of me then. See, you know what I, what I think about Peter in this moment? He can be so defensive, and I think it's true of us, we become so defensive because we don't want to admit that we're dirty. In order for us to accept the cleaning, we need to admit that we're dirty. We have to admit that there's something wrong. We have to admit that we don't have control of the full narrative. We have to admit so much that is out of our control, but when we're in the presence of God, we see our true status and we're small. Peter understands this. He's in the presence of God. Do you know how much, how little control we have over our life? Like you didn't choose your parents, the year you were born, 
the area in the world in which you were born into. You, like, there's so much about your life that you feel like you're in control of, but you actually aren't in control of any of it. And what God is inviting you into is, hey, let's let go and relinquish that control over to Jesus so that he can, in fact, change us and shape us to live the life we really were truly created to live. And so he says, man, when you are facing defensiveness, humble yourself. Again, Jesus just takes incredible, like, he just, the, the, the impeccable patience that he has here where he says, okay, let me just teach you here. Let me teach you. Doesn't shame him. Doesn't make him feel like a fool. He just tells him, you need this. And many of us in our relationship with God, we're so hard, like we, we don't want to follow Jesus because we feel like the conviction is actually right. Or maybe we've been watching from the outside for a long time, not unwilling and unable to actually humble ourselves in his name. And he's saying, man, I'm not going to shame you. I just want to teach you how to live the life you were created to live. And so, man, when you face defensiveness, humble yourself. And it continues, when you, when you want to be like Jesus, humble yourself. Look what he says, verse 12. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you the example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that, uh, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. You know what he says? He says, you, you want God to bless you. And I haven't met anyone that says like, nah, don't need that. No, like even like people who don't follow Jesus, they're like, yeah, if you could have God bless me, that'd be awesome. He says, you, you want that? Well, do the things that I'm telling you to do. Do the things that I'm teaching you to do. Do the things that I'm exemplifying for you. You know what I love about Jesus is, is that he models this so, so well, obviously because he's God, but then he empowers us to do it. What, what, do you, what would you expect someone to say in this moment? Like, hey, I, I've washed your feet, now can you wash mine? It's kind of this quid pro quo, tit for tat, type of like, hey, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. You know what he says? Hey, do you want to exemplify, do you want to show that, that you're engaging with my message here? I washed your feet, now go wash others. Because the servant always gets lost in the service. And he doesn't bend it back towards him. He says, you want to like engage with this story? You want to live a life that matters? You want to live a life that's actually going to do something in the world? More than your money, more than like maybe your kids and getting the right college and all these different things. Wait, would you want to do something that actually matters? I washed your feet, now go wash somebody else's. He says another way, he says, man, if you just would give a cup of water in my name to someone who needs it, it's like you're giving it to me. And so all of us were given these examples, all these, given us these moments that we're able to express the example of Jesus in our life. If you want to be like Jesus, we humble ourselves. 
And so at our church, we do it in people and places. We say, man, we want to exemplify this. We, we want to see people become followers of Jesus. And man, we want to nail out systemic issues in regions of the world. We talked about Haiti last week, if you were here, where we said we want to celebrate Easter by giving a school in Lakai, Haiti, all a bunch of computers. Like, it'd be really awesome to do that. It's a few thousand dollars. We saw a few come in and start, the work is starting. We also want people to be changed by Christ. Why? Because that's what actually changes our hearts. When we meet our creator and he begins to shape us, we actually see change happen. Not when we try real hard, not when we have the right laws governing our own relationships, when we give our life to Jesus and let him be Lord. It says we'll have fruit. And so today, I don't know where you're at, but maybe one of these five humblings might be a way to express this. If you go to that last one. Five necessary humblings. Number one, maybe for you, you need to choose a difficult obedience. Like you know Jesus has been asking you to do something and you've been sitting on your hands. You're actually in this moment where you you need to make this decision and it's not gonna make sense to anybody. But Jesus is asking you to do it. We need to choose a difficult obedience. We need to humble ourselves under God's hand and let the fruit come out. Um, Maybe for you, you need to own it all to reconcile. Maybe you're the type of person that every time someone has an issue with you, you become defensive. You're like the Peter. And you're like, no, 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 no. No, you actually said it this way. That's why I got upset. And that's that's the reason why everything, you know, happened. And you're like, Brandon, that's extremely specific. Yeah, because that's me all the time. And there are times where I'm like, you know what? I can't control the narrative here. I need to own it all so that this relationship can be reconciled. And oh, what it would look like for our relationships if we didn't just go one for one and try to raise, you know, hey, I got angry, you got angrier, angrier and angrier. You said, you know what? I screwed up. I'm so sorry. I know there's a lot of things you did too, but you know what? I'm not going to worry about it. I'm going to own it all so I can see new life in my relationships. Maybe for you, it's serving total secrecy because you're like, you're like, you're an active person, you're a servant, but you know deep down inside that you serve and you'd like to see, for people to see you doing something and certain people to see you doing something. And he's saying, you know, what if you served in total secrecy so that you could actually be changed by it? I, I, uh, I, I don't do it anymore, so I'm free to, feel free to talk about it. But there's there a couple years where I literally just painted the lines for our local soccer organization. And like, so on my days off, I would wake up in the morning and I just would paint lines and it was like overwhelmingly mindless. But it was so healing. Just me and some earbuds painting some soccer lines. What if you did something that nobody knew about? Only God got the glory for it. Um, Maybe for you, you need to lay down a liberty. You're really good. This is for you if you're really good at, at knowing your rights. I know my rights. I know my rights. I can do whatever I want right now. Oh, that we would see the pride coming out of our mouth. 
and that although you're free to do it, you know that the glory goes to God if you lay it down. That you can trust in him in a freer way. You can be more like him in a, in a deeper way. You actually can pursue him full-heartedly because you lay down a liberty. What would it look like to be like Christ and to forego a liberty? Maybe for you, it's this refusal to be offended. You say, no, no, nope, I'm not going to worry about that. Nope, I feel offended in this moment, but I'm not going to do it for the sake of the relationship, for the sake of my own emotional well-being. And for once, finally owning the fact that my opinion is not going to change the Facebook world. Come on, somebody, right? And you refuse to be offended. Oh, for the days that, that we just can go through our, 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 our minutes of each day, not worrying about the rights that we've been thwarted, not worrying about the different things that we've been stomped on, but we can actually engage with joy and, and life and service in a way that allows other people can, to sense the joy that we've been so freely given and the love that we've been so freely lavished with. And we sacrifice this impact for the sake of our own opinions because we're offended and we blurt out whatever comes from the hip at that moment. Oh, that thoughtfulness would return to our conversation so that the life of Christ could be experienced through our life. Which humbling do you need today? Maybe you have others. But here's what I know. Way too much in our life, whether you're a Christian in here or not, we put ourselves on the throne of our hearts and we bend reality towards us. In this Lent, Jesus is inviting you into lightness, into easiness, and trusting in his way of doing things. It means that you got to put him on the, on the throne of your heart as Lord. And he promises to forgive your sins and adopt you into his family. And he promises you to see all this new life. And we can see him actually begin to change us instead of taking it all into our own hands and doing it in the name of Jesus. We can actually give it to him and let him participate with him. And let us participate with him. Oh, what would it look like for Community Covenant to be people who consistently choose to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand and trust him with the outcome of our life? It would change everything. So today I pray that this Lent you can take pride out of the gap and you can move forward in humility, trusting Christ as the Lord over your own life, not only with your heart, but with the outcome that you have and see the fruit that he actually had in mind for you.